Podcast Starts. Hello everyone and welcome back to And Now The Podcast Starts, a show which talks about horror, cinema and anything related that takes the interest of my wonderful co-hosts or myself. I'm T.D. Velasquez, but as always you can call me Dan. I'm in Greater Manchester and today I have the pleasure of being joined by... Kirsty Warrow in Shropshire. And also the additional pleasure of being joined by... Stella Gaynor in a much more temperate Manchester. <laughs> yes, it is, isn't it? I think our last request on the end of last episode was, <laughs> please, can we? Can it be cooler next week? And, and, it, and it is. It is. Um, it is. Uh, how is the weather where you are, Kirsty? Um, it is, It is. Uh, yeah, more, much more temperate. I am actually wearing a hoodie, so that's a reflection Whoa. of the change in temperature <laughs> between this week and last week. Yeah, I've um, got slippers okay. on. Yeah. Big furry slippers on. <laughs> <laughs> So oh, yes, gee. it's much more cozy. And all the clothes as well. Obviously. <laughs> well, I would say obviously. I mean, I don't know, but one assumes. <laughs> one hopes. <laughs> and I, I think this just goes to show that our wishes have power over the natural environment somehow. Because uh, it does, yeah. We all made that wish. And we I did. was secretly hoping that the rain would come back so that I didn't have to water the garden every day. <laughs> <laughs> and well it certainly did come back and in fact it didn't go away again for about well about five days or so <laughs> yeah. yeah in fact yeah. more or less as soon as we said that was when the weather changed yeah it broke um, didn't it that night or the next uh, day and it was raining this morning here and it's not now but i have no reason to believe that it won't come back <laughs> can i just say i think that our our intros to this podcast are probably the most british intros in podcast <laughs> history <laughs> just, yes, and, and well. as, yeah it's just a section we'll call the weather as a nod to uh into uh, to night you do, do your introduction and then you can say and now the weather so, yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, it, um, for our listeners overseas, we want to give a bit of authentic flavour. Um, <laughs> that's what was going on. Oh, um, that's one a stereotype, which is actually true. Yes. Yeah. Horror and the weather. Yeah. We're talking about the weather. We're British, you know. Um, <clears throat> hey so, um, apart from the, the dramatic change in the weather do we have any news from horror or from life that we'd like to talk about since last week i've got some life news i guess it's kind of horror news as well um my book proposal was fully accepted so i'm writing the book now and it will Yay! be out in 2022 because it's a long process yeah um, but yeah sure. it's it's a go off congratulations go. Oh, fantastic. thank you very much that's brilliant stella yeah so that's good so that's my life news so i've been um just mainly sitting around and going oh right okay I've got, I've got, I've got to write it now <laughs> was, I kind of I knew obviously I knew I had to write the book once I got the the confirmation but yeah now I'm starting to think okay okay go back into planning mode and how how do you start to research and remember how to do all that again because I've only done I've written stuff since my PhD and and, and this but they've been short chapters or, or journal articles of what five seven thousand words and my book's eighty five thousand words so I've got to get back into that mindset and uh, pull that out of the air in uh, the first draft has to be in at the end of October so wish me luck wow good wow, luck good luck um, <laughs> that are you going to do... <laughs> sorry I was going to say I are you going to do the mental calculation of how many words you need to write 
per day or <laughs> per week or for the next two years. In no, order to... I think I might send myself insane. There's about a third of it or a bit less is already done because it's just coming straight from my PhD. So I just rewrite it so it doesn't sound thesis-y. Um, and then the rest of it is new stuff. So the approach that I take and the methodology that I use to analyse the TV shows in question is is the same, but it's just new TV shows. So the very first thing I'll do is um, watch a load of stuff and take notes on it. So that's not actually that bad to ease myself into the research and writing process by watching telly. That's, that's, oh, so, yeah. <laughs> that's so cool. Like living the dream, essentially. Yeah, it's all right, isn't yeah. it? That's yeah. wonderful. Oh, brilliant. How about you, Kirsty? Um, I don't have any... Well, it, I suppose mine is, is horror and also personal. Because um, guess what I'm going to talk about? Anybody? Anybody? Uh, well, is it? Does does it, it yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> it is. Well done, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, obviously, uh, you know, followers of this podcast will know that... Um, um, Hannibal is a love of mine and that Hannibal has recently hit Netflix uh, in the States, um, which, you know, kind of lots of people have seen as being a potential um, kind of uh, indicator that maybe there might be a, a long, um, you know, kind of yearned for season four. Um, so last week, um, uh, there was a cast reunion, which has not been broadcast yet. Um, but Nerdist have, have uh, yeah, kind of basically got the, the gang back together with the exception, I think, of just Lawrence Fishburne, but everybody else. Um, Brian Fuller, the creator, uh, creator uh, Mass Mickelson, Hugh Dancy, um, uh, Martha De Laurentiis, who's the producer, and did you know that Hannibal had a food consultant called Janice Poon um, as part of their, <laughs> their their team? So, um, and even Gillian Anderson. So they did um, rec- they recorded a kind of Zoom um, reunion, which is going to be broadcast um, on the Nerdist YouTube channel on July the eleventh. Um, right. And obviously that's quite a big thing to do. I know that lots of people are in the lockdown, but it's quite a big thing to organise. Um, yeah. And it is generating quite a lot of buzz on Twitter and other social media. Um, so it's just making the fanables even more excited about <laughs> um, the possibility um pushing for um, uh, season four. So, um, yay. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Sounds yay exciting. to me. Yeah. Um, I looked into the proposed glory starling tv series yes and um well i wasn't too encouraged by the news (laughs) on that one in the sense that um the the head writer on it seems to be alex kurtzman Mm. and who's the guy who runs star trek these days I'm not the hugest fan of him. He does have a writing credit on the only movie I've ever walked out of, ever. Which which was Transformers in 2007. Um, (laughs) The first one? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which I hear is the best one. It is, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's the best of a bad bunch, let's be honest. Are we counting counting Bumblebee as part of that bunch? Because I would take exception to... I Bumblebee like Bumblebee. Just, I like Bumblebee. I ha- as well. It's the only other one that I've seen. Yeah. Out of I've the not two. seen that one yet because I got bored at Transformers. Oh no, me 87. too. Yeah, yeah, me me too. But um, Bumblebee's quite quite fun. But yeah, yeah. I take your point down about Transformers. So yeah. So and um, and it kind of reminds me of the mental process I got through with Star Trek Discovery, which is that when it was announced that show was being showrun by Brian Fuller of Hannibal fame. Yes. 
and I thought, wow, Star Trek run by Brian Fuller, that sounds really interesting. But then by the time the show actually had been produced, there had been a behind-the-scenes shake-up and Brian Fuller had been ousted and replaced by Alex Kurtzman. (laughs) So I was like, oh my heavens, you've gone from one of my favourite writers to almost my least favourite writer ever. Um, and, and I just feel a little bit of the same trajectory with <laughs> Hannibal. If if Hannibal season four didn't happen, but we had this Clarice series instead, yeah, um, I'd feel a bit like that. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think that Hannibal would happen without Brian Fuller. I think it's he's just mm. you know so no no no. I, but it's his true. really. It's his you know yeah. kind of uh, yeah slash fan fiction interpretation mm. of you know. Um, uh, the Thomas Harris books. So, <laughs> yes, um, yeah. uh, no, I'd still be excited. I, I would. Uh, I'd be sad if both series got made, but because the Clarice series existed, they couldn't include Clarice in Hannibal as a character. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd be hoping that they strike some kind of deal where she could be in both, but that probably won't happen. Yeah, it's rare. Um, yeah, but oh well. Um, but still, that's encouraging news. Um, thank you, Kirsty, and I'll put a, a mention in the show no- notes of the date that that um, reunion becomes available on yeah. the Nerdist. So, grand. Um, I've got a couple of little bits of news. One of them is only tangentially horror, and I don't know that much <laughs> about it. But do you know, Kirsty? You might know this. Um, there's a film that's just been available, just been made available on Netflix that was produced in lockdown. Um, no. Uh, it's oh no, what's it called? <laughs> no, Dan. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm frantically googling it. Um, it's got it's an anthology film of um, characters in lockdown and l- l- small dramas about lockdown life, and it has actors in it like I think. Um, uh, what's the name of the actress who's from Twilight? Uh, which one? Oh, Kristen the one Stewart. that's only got one expression. Kirsten Stewart, yeah. yeah. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> apparently she's much better than that. But, um, no, uh, yeah, she, I think she's in it. But also one of the episodes is directed by uh, Anna Lily Amopo, oh, who we were okay. talking about the other week, ah, yeah. um, who directed A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. So yes. I don't know if... Ah. I don't know the nature of her segment, whether it could be considered horror. Obviously the whole film is not a horror film. Except in the sense that it's about everybody being locked in their own houses during quarantine, <laughs> which is horror-ish enough, as we yeah. all know. Is it called Homemade? Ah, that's the one. Yep, Homemade. Absolutely. I knew it was like a one-word title, but I couldn't remember it for the life of me. So, yeah. Apparently that's on Netflix. Either, if not now, then it will be in a couple of days. No, so. I, think it's on, I think it's on now. I think it's, okay. it's there. I can okay. see it. Oh, oh, that sounds really interesting. Yeah, right. but it's a yeah, 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 television series, or at least it's it's a, ser- a serialized thing rather yeah. than a film. Oh, sorry. So is it the um, it's an anthology of episodes rather yeah. than one film made yeah. up of different bits? Okay. So the the article I, I read, I must have misunderstood yeah. there. Okay. So you can just skip forward to find the uh, Anna Lily Hamopor episode yeah. in that case. Right. Cool. Um, so that's cool. So, yeah, that's one thing. And my other bit of news is that I found out yesterday with a degree of tempered excitement that um, a new uh, treatment for the uh, 
long-mooted fifth alien film has, has is now known to exist. Um, oh. Written by David Geiler and Walter Hill, who actually wrote the original Alien okay. in 1979, but aren't credited on it. But they did, basically, Dan O'Bannon wrote the original draft, and then they were the producers. Yeah. And in a kind of slightly arrogant way, as producers tend to be sometimes, they went, that's pretty good, but we'll just rewrite it all. And they changed almost everything. Like, they were responsible for changing the character of Ripley from a man to a woman, for instance. Um, And and they're not credited for writing it on the movie, but but it is known that the script Mm. and most of the dialogue is theirs. So they've written a new treatment, um, and they've presented it to Sigourney Weaver, and she's not amazingly enthusiastic about about it, um, (laughs) sadly enough. But, you know, she is in her mid-70s and has had, in the last 20 years or so, I think at least three, maybe four different writers and directors have come along with an Alien 5 idea and she's gone, great! And then it's not happened. (laughs) So I think she's probably just a bit fed up with it now. Um, And whether or not it will ever happen, I I have no idea. But I'm, I'm quite intrigued. Um, I think at some point, the thing is, the character of Ripley, I think she's um, such an important character in uh, in two genres. Well, three, really. She's, she's really important in horror to me as, as a, a heroine. Also, she's pretty unique in science fiction. She's yeah. almost totally unique as an action um, heroine. Well, no, she's not unique anymore, but when she, when she was first on screen, there were basically yeah. no other female action leads Mm. um and like uh, and i've always felt a little bit gutted that she's not had even though there are four alien films and she played the character for nearly 20 years she's not really had that longevity that male action stars get you know about 10 15 years ago there was like a a sudden spate of old men action movies there was like (laughs) rambo four and jerry action Yes, but uh, but uh, well, they, yeah, they, they coined that phrase after um, Taken. I've never heard that happened. before. Jerry Action, yeah, yeah, so the, a, the Expendables, isn't it? That's, that started that. Yeah, oh, yeah, and and I just remember feeling quite irritated that, like, okay, so we're we're all right with bringing the old guys back and making them do pointless new movies. Where's Ripley? Uh, women it, aren't allowed to age, though, no, are they? No, it's been like twelve years <laughs> later, and 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 still nothing. And I just feel like, guys, you know, she's not young. She's gonna. If you don't make the movie soon, <laughs> the opportunity will go. Um, and so I'm, I'm just hoping that that they are. Um, but but at the same time, it's you know, Sigourney Weaver's life. Um, she's gonna do what she wants to do, and or not, and that's, that's her purview. Um, but um, I'd just like it if it happened and it was good, but who knows. But by this point, um, as a fan of that franchise, I'm uh, I'm not convinced by anything. Uh, really. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that's sort of news, but whether it will ever become anything concrete, uh, I guess... Um, well, it, in a strange way, I feel like, um, just on a more kind of general note as of... of um, kind of commenting on the fact of hoping for things as, you know, my bit of news there and Gersdy's news were both kind of similar in that we're hoping for further instalments of our favourite franchises. 
but um, <laughs> in a way, I feel like the world's changed to su- to such an extent. You know, everything gets made now, mm. um, and if if there is a sequel or a, re- a reboot, we touched on this. We're talking about the horror remakes. You know, if if audiences don't like the remake or whatever then there'll very quickly be another reboot or a sequel to, to the, the older yeah. films or a TV series or something different. And I, I just feel like y- you get everything made that you could want now. Mm. Um, and in a way, um, I've come to value the fact that Alien 5 was never made because <laughs> because with it not being made, it can exist in my head and be really good. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I get that. Yeah. I mean, um, the point of everything being made, we, we can pick that up again in a bit when we talk about Netflix and what they right. do. Right, exactly, just yeah. They, just make everything, regardless of whether it's a good idea or not, <laughs> or if they could afford it. And well, the answer is no, they can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the the interesting, mysterious economic model of Netflix. Model of Netflix. That, how have you messed this up, guys? <laughs> you, were, you were the only ones. Yeah. Oh, no, all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very strange. Okay, well, on that, um, on that note then, let, let's move into the main discussion for this week. So we're picking up again here with the discussion that we started last week about serialised horror on television, um, which um, Stella, being an expert in recent American serialised horror, is guiding us through. And I'll just give a quick summary of what we talked about last week. Uh, for the benefit of any listeners who might not have listened to last week's one yet. But, of course, the episode is there if you want to go back and listen to it. So, essentially, uh, last time, Stella, you outlined um, the factors that led to the explosion of horror uh, on screen um, from from America, mainly, in the last ten years. Specifically, um, it all kind of comes down to uh, the... uh, American cable network, if I get this wrong, uh, please <laughs> correct me. AMC, is that right? Yes. They're a cable channel. Yeah. Um, and basically they took a risk. They they sensed that they had um, a horror audience because they showed horror movie marathons. Yeah. Um, so they took a risk on producing a TV show aimed at that audience and it paid off um, with huge audiences mm. and a, a very loyal audiences, which meant the advertisers were very pleased. Um, and therefore, um, American producers started to realise that, you know, they could actually pitch towards this audience and make a commercially successful product, which didn't... Um, have to feel the need to be gentle on the horror or disguise its horror as something else like a lot of previous TV horror had had to do. Yeah. Um, so with that kind of context in place, we talked about The Walking Dead last week um, in, in a certain amount of detail. Uh, we missed a couple of... Or, or rather, I forgot to mention a couple of things which I wanted to say about The Walking Dead. Um, and, and in fact... Um, possibly we didn't really contextualise it we kind of acted like the listeners um, knew what The Walking Dead was which you probably do (laughs) to be fair Um, but uh, you know um, it might have been good to mention that AMC were taking a gamble on adapting a graphic novel series that Mm. existed um, and that Frank Darabont, the film uh, writer and director who is known for his 
uh, repeated collaborations over the years with Stephen King on some of the best Stephen King adaptations like The Shawshank Redemption, The Green Mile and The Mist. Yeah. Um, came to pitch the show to them. They took a gamble on it. It paid off. Um, the show returned every year and has become more and more popular, although Darabont left the building quite early in yeah. um, uh, in controversial and mysterious circumstances. Yeah. Mm. Um, has to be said, I've looked into it a little bit since. Um, and it, it's gone on to be... The series has gone on to be masterminded by... Uh, a series of other showrunners um, mm-hmm. and it's developed in parallel with the graphic novels which were written by Robert Kirkman Robert Kirkman, yeah yeah, and drawn by Charlie Adlard and who's the other artist? Charlie Adlard wasn't the original artist, was he? No, some other guy, I can't remember his name um, Tony something, I think I'm. Oh, that's really terrible uh, I'll, I'll put that <laughs> in the show notes yeah. um, uh, Tony Moore uh, Oh, there we go Yeah uh, and they've kind of continued at the same time that the, the TV series and the graphic novels have developed in parallel, although not quite telling the same story with a number yeah, of divergences. The TV show sort of dips in and out of, of the comics, um, but the comic came to an end in September last year, I think, September 2019. Kurtman right. has, he has finished it now, he's, he's called it, um, and... I've read some of the comics. I, re- I think I read, I certainly read all of them up to issue 100, um, which was the big one that we talked about last week, which was episode 701. Right. The day will come and you won't be when, when Glenn meets his, meets his unfortunate end. Um, and I dipped in and out after that. And then I did um, do what you should never do when you're reading anything. I skipped to the end and I read the last one <laughs> to see what had gone on um, right. and, and how, how we closed it. Um, and obviously I won't mention anything of what's in the last issue of The Walking Dead. But I did I did have a little cry, I must say. Okay. Isn't yeah. there, hasn't there just, or aren't they just releasing another one-shot, though? I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, no, I think, I think um, Charlie Adard was on Instagram yesterday, I think, yeah. talking about it. Yeah, but I mean, The Walking Dead's gonna, because AMC, when so when The Walking Dead did fabulously well, and then they, then they did Talking Dead as the after show, then they did Fear the Walking Dead, which is the sister show, I guess, or it's not even a prequel; it's just happening on the other side of the United States. So The Walking Dead set in Georgia, yeah. Fear the Walking Dead set in Los Angeles, um, and then Fear the Walking Dead gets its own talked about program, and then there are all the webisodes as well. So AMC made extra content. Um, so in the very first episode of The Walking Dead, there's the bicycle girl that she's become known as. It's Rick's first proper encounter with this rotting zombie, and she's only half of her is left. And yes. you'll you, you have all seen the image. And the fans, those of fans said, oh, we'd love to know her story. You know, how did she get to be in the sorry state that she was in? Um, so AMC made a series of webisodes. And I think they're still all available on YouTube, which told some of the backstories of some of the zombies that they come across throughout the series. Okay. Then it told some of the little stories that weren't connected to with the, in the main central characters. And then they did Flight, is it Flight 471, which is they released those to bridge the gap between the end of season uh, four or five to the start of Fear the Walking Dead that showed a bit of... Um, because with The Walking Dead, we're six weeks into the apocalypse. Fear the Walking Dead was trying to show us, you know, what what happened at the start of, of everything, everything, yeah. you know, going to the dogs, as it were. Um, 
and Flight 471 is an interesting one because it all happens on board a plane and some of them are a minute long, some are two minutes long, so they're all quite interesting. So when with AMC making all of this Walking Dead content, the chief of uh, drama programming, and I can't remember his name, which is really bad. Anyway, some bloke who works at AMC, who's quite high up, he said... That, um, we originally and we always saw The Walking Dead as a franchise anyway which I'm not sure how true that is I think he's just saying that because The Walking Dead became a franchise for AMC sure. so in the works they've got um, three made for TV movies coming um, I think one of them was supposed to arrive on television this year but obviously no one's mm-hmm. in production at the moment um, so there's going to be three TV movies one of them picking up um, where Rick's story went and then the other two we don't really know and the walking dead and fear the walking dead have done crossover characters so before you when you were talking about um clarice and hannibal crossing over yeah if both those series are made by the same channel and they're owned the content is owned by the same channel then they might do some crossover because it will serve them well but if it's made by different channels then who are not owned by the same media conglomerate then they won't like it so that's that would sort of dictate whether or not that happened so the walking dead has become it's, it's its own set of comics and they sit over there on the comic book shelf but and then there's sort of the screen walking dead that amc have done and amc have created their own sort of franchise based on the intellectual property that they have the rights to and exploded it in a completely different way i guess than any other tv show has ever done before while still retaining lots of traditional tv models so last week we touched on the idea of having a monster of the week or a zombie of the week and then now they're sort of almost going a step back further and making made for tv movies which horror used to do in the 70s so it's an interesting um cocktail i suppose of all all the elements of television and then using bits of elements from the internet by putting these little webisodes on their online platform or just that just their um, amc website that they're sort of mixing it all together to make this big huge walking dead soup of content for all those that are, are interested or want to get as much walking dead as they possibly can yeah, that's amazing. I didn't know about the webisodes actually. Um, I'll put they're, a link in the show note to those. They sound yeah. interesting. Um, we did talk about last week um, how the, the Walking Dead opens, which is the character of Rick um, waking in hospital and discovering that the world has devolved to a zombie apocalypse and then mm. making his way through it. And he becomes the kind of threat for most of the TV show, doesn't he? Yeah. Although we've just mentioned he does disappear from the tv show in later seasons and is going to apparently reappear in one of these tv movies yeah is he the main character in the comics as well yeah so the the comics start essentially the same way i've got it on a shelf behind me i can check if you like so they start with rick waking in the hospital yeah uh, okay um, well, i can't see it I just wanted to mention that because we yeah. did talk last week about how, you know, it, it, it's maybe a bit too similar to 28 Days Later yeah. in some ways. Yeah. However, I did then think, yeah, but 28 Days Later was just borrowing that from the day of the Triffids. Yeah. Um, and maybe... Oh, I've forgotten about that. <laughs> yeah. Of course. I, 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 I think maybe some character wakes up and discovers that the world's ended. It's becoming yeah. a trope. Um, yeah. Well, it, I've got the comic here in my hand now. Um Okay. So let's have a look. So it starts, the very first page, it starts... Um, so the TV show starts with Rick in the abandoned sort of uh, petrol station. It's not called that in America, is it? What's it called? Gas, gas station. Oh, gas um, station. Um, but it, in the comic, it starts with um, where Rick gets shot. 
and that's on the first page and then the very next page you've got the overhead shot of rick in bed waking up and the world's gone to cock um i'm just trying to find the print date on this the first release date it's so about 2004 wasn't it yeah something like that but uh, and then 28 days that that was 2002 wasn't it yes so 28 days later did in terms of the zombie stuff i guess they did do it first but <laughs> but equally, um, you know, as I say, because because twenty eight days later had already borrowed it from something else, mm. you can't really blame people for then borrowing it again. Um, yeah. And and I think it just might become an easy way to get characters into an apocalypse story. You you go to sleep, everything's fine. You wake up and it's gone to hell. Um, yeah. Coma or whatever. Um, <laughs> coma hangover. Whatever. <laughs> yes. So. Um, yeah, I think that's fair enough. I think it I might also... be the result of a, you know, a kind of low budget. Yeah, that's mm. true. You don't have to show it then, do you? Um, <laughs> yeah. That, so, yeah, that, then they showed, or tried to show some of it in Fear the Walking Dead. So the first first few episodes, it's when um, it's more rioting and yes. people don't really know what's going on and stuff. So that seems a bit... They spent more money on those first few episodes because they had to show... You know the city city of Los Angeles fall basically. Yes, um, I mean I have seen the first series of Fear the Walking Dead, and I did enjoy the first sort of four episodes, and it, and it builds up really nicely as I remember as, mm. as everything kind of um, goes from bad to worse. But then mm. there is a bit of a time jump, and yeah. I I found the last two episodes kind of robbed the tension because it's like every, everything builds up to a city on the edge of. Um, the abyss, and then there's like next episode, and it's two weeks later, and they're all in um, kind of military bunkers uh, or, or, or military encampments. Yeah. Um, and it, it, there's nothing wrong with that idea, and you can have a lot of tension from the idea that you're in a safe place, but outside is dangerous. But it mm. was like it was maybe because the series was only six episodes long, and I felt yeah. that I felt that if it had been 10 episodes or more and you'd actually gone through that journey of them going from the the city um falling to being in these safe encampments it would have maintained the tension whereas i just felt mm. it was a bit jarring yeah so i didn't yeah. watch more than that although i was quite enjoying it because something i enjoy about the walking dead and fear the walking dead that i didn't mention last week i did say how Basically, I like the fact that it's Night of the Living Dead, the series. Yeah. But I also like the fact that, you know, um, the zombie is an almost go-to monster for low-budget filmmaking. Mm. Um, in a way, if you are trying to make your way as a, a film director, a first-time film director, you probably go to a zombie film. Or, you know, I know so many people who've made zombie shorts, and, and they're an easy yeah. monster to create because... Um, you know, depending on, you don't even necessarily need that much makeup. They, they only have to look recently dead. You know, yeah. they just have to. You have just have to get your extra to shamble around. Some of them look like they've just had a bit of, like cooking flour, um, on their faces, <laughs> uh, and and that's it. You know, but but The Walking Dead and the Walking Dead franchise kind of takes that trope, but does it in a slick way that um, looks big budget. And I mm. and I enjoy the 
um, the immersion of that, even though I think that horror films often can gain strength from the fact that they might look very cheap. Mm. Sometimes that can actually make them feel more dangerous. You know, Mm -hmm. you don't have the reassuring slickness that you normally expect from a movie, so you feel like anything can happen. Um, uh, But The Walking Dead kind of walks this line of, um, give you know, um, creating that kind of stuff in a slick way, but also managing to mostly be quite surprising. Um, yeah. At least for a while, as I discussed last week, I don't, I don't think that necessarily holds up all the way through, but it, it does seem to be going on forever. Um, Stella, having read the last bit of the of the comic book um and you know no spoilers but did you mm-hmm. feel like this could be an, an ending that the tv universe will come to too or are they moving away from it do you think um there's some very definite really really distinct differences to how the comic has ended and to where they are in the tv show so unless the tv show makes some very drastic moves over the next coming series i don't really see how they can end up where the tv where the comic ended up to be honest um there's some similarities in terms of where the walking dead is now and to where the comics ended or how it's ended but yeah it it just it it seems too far away far too far away but i mean the comic book has gone forward in time an awful lot as well they've done a lot of time jumps themselves um so if the comic book was 2004, that makes it, what, 15 years old by the time Coatman mm. ended it. Um, it's more than 15 years has passed in the in the comic world. Mm. So, yeah, and unless The Walking Dead plans to be on TV for another 10 years, and it may well do so, because um, there's absolutely no reason for AMC to stop doing it at the moment. I, yeah, I can't see how they'd end up at the same place, to be honest. Okay, interesting. But, you know, AMC... I think people see it as a negative of the walking dead that it is carrying on and on and on and on and on um and it did start and gather enormous viewing figures particularly around season four season five ridiculous viewing figures um and in america those viewing figures have been steadily going down so everyone's to the press likes to leap on that and say oh once again the walking dead this week they've lost several thousand more viewers but what they don't say is that those viewing figures were so high that even Mm. though they've lost some it's still at the top and the viewing figures globally continue to rise they're on an upward trajectory so there's absolutely no reason for amc to stop it in terms of a business plan or a you know a programming strategy for themselves and as a global um exporter of drama so you know that i think they will carry it on for as long as they as long as it makes good financial sense and at the moment it absolutely does for them AMC right. make the most of their money through advertising when The Walking Dead is on air. Wow, okay. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous money. Right. Well, you know, I, um, I hope that, to be honest, even though I've expressed doubts about it going on and on and, mm. and, and the fact that it loses interest and things, if they can keep telling interesting stories, then yeah. there's no reason why it should stop. And so mm. operas and things go on forever. Yeah. So... So it's fine um, with me anyway. I I did want to bring something silly up last week that I forgot about. Something I found charming about The Walking Dead uh, is that it's such a dark, violent show, but it has a proliferation of producers with cute names. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
such as uh, Jolly Dale is one oh. of the producers. And even better, Caleb Womble. Caleb Womble. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, every time that comes up on the titles, because I always watch the titles because I, I love them. Um, yeah. yeah, Caleb Womble always makes me have a little snigger to myself. Cracking <laughs> <Yes>. name. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's um, probably doesn't have the same impact in the US as it does over here. But no, probably not. Uh, we, when we I can't think of Wombles without also thinking of Wimbledon Common, exactly. and, um, <laughs> uh, it's going to have an impact. Um, so um, I think we've covered The Walking Dead pretty comprehensively. Yeah. Now, yeah. shall we move on and talk about some of the series which followed in its wake and how the yeah. TV landscape has yeah. continued to change over the last decade? And just for the benefit of the listener, um, you don't need to worry too much. We are going to be going spoiler light on our discussion of the various series which come up now. However, if you are worried that we might discuss a programme that you'd rather know nothing at all about check the listing on our Podbean page on our website where we will list the shows that we're going to discuss now and we will note in particular if there is um, any that we spoil in any particular way. So Stella, where would you like to go next in terms of the journey through recent American horror TV? I think it would be worth having a look at two main areas well three main areas actually um so i think the first thing that we should probably have a look at is what was going on um essentially across the road in america so still the cable channel on the channel fx um okay so they've made all sorts of things there damages always sunny in philadelphia various Dexter. various various stuff dexter yeah, yeah. um and dexter was showtime wasn't it oh showtime was dexter yeah, yeah. oh sorry They've done loads and loads of stuff. Um, basically, so their chief, their, their CEO is a guy called John Langraff, and his sort of MO, I suppose, is he is prepared to give anything a shot and then he's not scared to cancel it after a season and go, oh, well, never mind, let's try another thing, whereas other channels want to like you know, generate loyalty for several years to come, but John Langraff doesn't care. He just wants <laughs> to make whatever. So he... Um, is responsible for um, commissioning American Horror Story. So, and that was in 2011. And obviously, mm. not obviously, or you may know, you may not, American Horror Story is still happening. Um, nine seasons down the line now. And American Horror Story is an anthology. So every season, it changes um, story. Some of the actors remain the same, but they change location, everything, every season. So that we've had uh, Murder House, Asylum, Coven, Freak Show, Hotel, uh, Roanoke, Roanoke, Cult, um, Apocalypse, uh, Apocalypse, and 1984. Yeah. So, I think American Horror Story is definitely worth talking about because it. When I first watched it, I, I mean, now I'm a huge fan and I love it. But when I first watched it, I watched a random episode from the middle of the second series of Asylum, and in one episode they just shoehorned in so many things possible from horror they were in asylum and there was aliens and some the doctor was a nazi and he, but he was also an evil nazi who was um, doing <laughs> yeah. terrible experiments in his lab and then all the mad people were mad and the, and the nun the nuns the nun was possessed by the devil and he's like ah and that was in one episode and i was watching it going what the <laughs> fresh hell yeah. is all this that like, how are you shoehorning all this stuff in and i was like no that's just ridiculous that like, you're not even trying you're just getting in as much as possible yeah shoehorning in with wild yeah. abandon yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like this is a 
wasn't making any sense. Sounds and then like I actually made a point of watching them and I was like, oh, actually, this is really, really bloody good. And if there's any TV horror series on at the moment, aside from maybe Ash vs. Evil Dead, which I'm not a fan of, sorry, um, if it does so much with all the potential that horror has and all the possible nuances that horror has and all the possible subgenres that it really i think that american horror story really is horror for people who really really like horror you might not agree let's see uh well um well i have to say that for this episode i've never watched american horror story before but for this episode i made sure i watched some so i watched uh roanoke the whole series, which I think is the sixth or seventh season. I think so. Um, and so Roanoke uh, is at least partially um, essentially a recreation of a supposed um, docudrama series yeah. about a true life incident. And the series is called My Roanoke Nightmare. Yeah. Um, and I'm afraid I have to say that that was a good title for me. It was my <laughs> Roanoke nightmare. Um, you did watch the one that is commonly regarded as, yeah, that's not the best one, is it? That's true. But but <laughs> I think I, I, I did ask you what was a good one and you said, oh, any of them. You didn't say not Roanoke. <laughs> um, I, just, I just thought, like, statistically, you might not go for Roanoke. Right. You might watch, um, I don't know. I don't know the first one. <laughs> I, I, uh, I I don't feel like it was necessarily hugely representative of the series. And based mm-hmm. on your recommendation, I did then go and watch the first episode of Hotel, mm-hmm. um, which I enjoyed a lot more. I I'm not quite sure I get the whole series. Uh, well, I mean, I haven't, maybe I haven't seen enough of it. And, and because I basically just disliked Roanoke. Um, yeah. I mean, with Hotel, I think. That one episode that I saw had a bit of that in, in it, which you d- just described. It just feels a bit crammed with stuff. Yeah. But I did enjoy um, something about it. And, you know, um, I went on to have a nightmare about Lady Gaga which, <laughs> and, and, and her oddly streamlined head. Um there's something she about can move le- at speed through those corridors. Well, I just feel like there's something about the shape of Lady Gaga's head which makes it look like it's designed to move on its own. <laughs> uh, you know, it's like a, a very fast fish. Um, but um, but no. she's very beautiful. But, you know, yeah, she does look yes. speedy. Yes, no, absolutely. Um, it, uh, I, I don't want to make any prescriptions about what beauty is, but um, I just think she's, she's certainly got a distinctive look. Um, she does. Uh, and I mean, I like the. Um, I well, firstly, I should say that I do like Ryan Murphy, who created yes. and writes most of American Horror Story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like his kind of um, bitchy satirical style. Mm. Um, I was a huge fan of the series he wrote a couple of years ago called Feud, yes. which was about um, Betty Davis and. Um, Joan Crawford and in fact is a really interesting series for horror fans because it kind of goes into the fact that those actresses ended up having late career moves into horror movies and actually has lots of scenes uh, behind the scenes of those movies there's a whole episode of Feud which is about the making of a really bad British horror film called Trog Um, (laughs) Trog. and (laughs) 
you know, <laughs> and it's like, who would have thought that Jessica Lange would essentially star in an hour-long drama about the making of Troc? Um, <laughs> but it's really interesting. It's really well done. Um, so I, I, I do think he's a great talent. Um, but uh, I don't... I find it difficult to get a handle on the tone of horror within the, what I have seen so far of American Horror Story. I like um, some of the humour, but at the same time, there isn't in, enough of it for it to be a comedy. Yeah. Um, so, um, so I'm I, I'm kind of a, a little bit not sure about it. Um, Kirsty, do you know American Horror Story? Yeah, I watched the first two series seasons, sorry to use the American parlance, um, when they were on television. Were they? I can't try to remember which broadcaster carried them. Um, I want to say five, but I'm not sure that's right. Um, but I certainly remember kind of being quite... Um, so the first one is that's House, isn't it? It's the Murder House. Yeah, the Murder yeah. House, yeah. So I remember being... Um, much more disturbed than I was expecting. And I suppose, again, mm-hmm. that kind of plays into those kind of conversations we were having last week about being, about television moving into sort of, you know, much more um, uh, grotesque and abject territory. Yeah. Um, and uh, I thought it was, you know, kind of well done. And um, uh, is it Faye Dunaway? Uh, no, not Faye Dunaway. Jessica Lang. Jessica Lang. Okay, always get, Lang. I always get those two confused. Apologies to both of those ladies who are very fine act, act, actresses. Um, I love Jessica But yes, yeah, Jessica Lang. I remember just being, you know, she was kind of, she was great. And then, um, uh, and then I watched uh, the second season, which was uh, Asylum. 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 Um, and again, I enjoyed it. Um, but it, you know that it was very baroque and operatic, <laughs> um, and I have to say, whilst I enjoyed it, I kind of I was the whole anthology thing meant that I by the end of the second series I wasn't overly fussed about you know kind of following it on into mm-hmm. season three's coven, is it? Yeah, yeah. So um, <laughs> even though you know I kind of normally would be, um, so yeah, it's. I think I kind of like Ryan Murphy's kind of, you know, campy, over the top mm. um, kind of thing. And I think that works really nicely with the horror um, and, you know, just the kind of operatic nature of, of the stories that he tells. Um, mm. Yeah. But I, I don't know. <laughs> just, it's kind of by the, I think just by the end of season two, it's just kind of like, okay, well, it's, you know, it's not necessarily giving me something that I feel is terribly different from my experience watching a movie, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I enjoy, I enjoy how much American Horror Story kind of enjoys itself, yeah. if that makes sense. The the excess in it yeah. and the, the fact that it does, the, some of the seasons do come under a bit of criticism a lot of criticism let's be honest from the trade press saying you know ryan murphy that they always start off really well and then it meanders a bit and they end up sort of spinning their wheels just to get to you know the required 12 14 16 or whatever many episodes that the channel has ordered that year um but i think i i i like that it just kind of wanders off and starts to tell the story and then comes back a bit and then goes into something else and I, i enjoy the excess and the silliness and like you said the campness and the really exaggerated levels of horror and ridiculousness in it and it's part of as my research comes from looking at how 
how the home of the product, how that has an effect on the product. And like I said before, John Langraff working on FX, they kind of want to stand out from the crowd as much as possible. So FX, are, you know, they're fighting against Netflix and AMC and, yeah. and everybody else to make all these big quality dramas. Yeah. So when they made their horrors, they were like, right, we need to make stuff that's really not necessarily out there in terms of being really um, off the wall or, you know, weird, but just to be really full on. So mm. the next series they did was The Strain. If any of you have seen that, their vampire series. I have no. seen, I watched the first episode for this as well. So that yeah. was the same network. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Um, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Uh, just that one episode. Uh, yeah. I mean, and it is, like you say, it's, it's totally different from American Horror Story, but it's mm-hmm. it, it it is similarly full on. Um, yeah, Ex- the first... it's the excess, I think. Yeah, of everything. Well, and also the first episode is directed by Guillermo del Toro. I didn't realize yeah. he yeah. directed any of it. Well, um, he wrote. It's a novel that he co-wrote with someone. Yes. Which I've got in hardback that I think was given to me as a present, and I I tried to read it and I couldn't finish the novel. I was just like, I just can't get through this. So I'm going to stop and read something that I actually enjoy. Right. And then they, they made a TV series, and I was like, all right, go on, I'll give it a watch. And I actually really enjoyed it. Okay. But it worked better on screen than it did on on paper. But maybe because because of the excessiveness of the horror that FX make. With, with all the worms and, and the parasites and the big lashing tongue snake things that come out and grab people rather than vampires biting the necks in the usual standard accepted manner. Um, <laughs> you know, it's all, it's all, it's not just vampires, it's it's worms and these big tongues and, and stuff. Nice. And, and I must tell the story about how um, FX and The Strain got, got in trouble themselves. So for the first season of The Strain... Um, they have they put up loads of billboards um as tv companies are want to do this is our new um show coming and for those of you who have not seen the strain the you're infected by um it's little worms so it's parasitic vampires really and uh, the poster if you google it the strain poster was a close up of somebody's eye and the person's oh. pulling the lower eyelid down and there's a worm coming out the eye oh yeah a little oh. worm so these posters went up and there was just the the can only be described as a hoo ha on social media. It's like, <laughs> oh my god, on Twitter, oh my god, the strain, what you're doing? I'm driving to work. You know that you're going to cause a car crash. My kids don't want to see this. <laughs> this is disgusting. <laughs> so and so they got in large trouble and they had to take the posters down. Wow. And they replaced the posters with um like a an open mouthed one of the vampires with like the snake thing coming out the mouth and it's like and that's better is it sometimes i think it was just it was the eye thing that people didn't like yeah I'm so with they them. got in trouble but it was you know they had to be seen amongst so the strain came out in 2015 i've got it written here in my notes in 2015 there was 25 other series on tv that you could consider horror wow. so when the strain came out it had a lot to fight against and this era of tv john langraff at fx he's termed it peak tv is in that you know when everyone's saying oh there's just so much to watch what am i going to do um so the strain had to sort of you know be kind of wave and be like we're over here we're we're a horror story over here and you know we're vampires but you know we're really minging (laughs) we've got worms in eyeballs (laughs) come come and have a look um so yeah they, they got in trouble but you know they had to be seen above what what's he call it the clutter cluttered television landscape he calls it he says it's too busy with 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 drama but right. you know come and watch come and watch our drama <laughs> well i mean i would 
recommend the strain based mm. on the fact that I I think um, it does do the excessive gore thing, but I think the tone is kind of consistent. I think the thing that freaks me about American Horror Story is I can't get quite a handle on the tone, mm-hmm. um, except in uh, Roanoke where the tone was just dull. <laughs> um, but I, I, I'm I can't happy. Believe you watch Roanoke. <laughs> it's like, well, to be honest, El, to be fair, right? The reason, the main reason for watching Roanoke is that it's the shortest season, and ah. I wanted to watch a whole season. It's only ten right, episodes. Um, but yeah, I, I could tell straight away that a it was probably not like the rest of the series, and b I wasn't sure that this was going to work, and lo and behold, it didn't. There's a bit <laughs> in the middle where it. It looked for a minute like it was going to get interesting, but then it quickly uh, returned to form. Um, but anyway, <laughs> anyway not, the not, strain. To, not to bitch about that. But yeah, um, the, with the strain, yeah, I when I was um, uh, researching it on the internet last week, that was the only image that I could find, really, was the image of the eye. Oh, the eyeball. So it is kind of... <laughs> Somehow that that has become the image which is associated with the yeah, series. Yeah, stuck. Um, and I think my main impression of the first episode was like it was a brilliant adaptation of the start of Dracula. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know if the rest of the story goes in a different way. But basically, you know, um, a vessel comes somewhere and everybody on it is dead. But there's mm-hmm. a, a, a coffin on it with... with um, uh, full of earth and a vampire in it. That is basically what happens in Dracula and yeah. also in The Strain, but in The Strain it's it's America and it's an aeroplane and things like that. Um, worms. But I, yeah, well, well, the worms, yeah, true. But um, I mean, you get worms in soil. It's not hugely. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and, and I found it was done with, it's got good actors in it and it was done with, um, strong suspense, and I'd quite like to yeah. watch more of it. Unfortunately, um, although it it is on Amazon, you have to pay for it. <laughs> so uh, it's on uh, it's on Now TV. They've got it. Oh, okay. Uh, so you can, if you get the entertainment package, I sound like a right advert, don't I, for American yeah. TV channels? <laughs> if you fancy HBO, that's fourteen dollars a month. Um, but yeah, it's it's on it's all on Now TV, as is uh, Penny Dreadful. Okay, yeah. I've never seen that actually. Right, mm. okay, so because that came out in about 2013, didn't it? Um, yeah, around there. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was also part of that explosion. So, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So I can I can I mean the strain went on for four seasons, yeah. and it can, it seemed to come to, from what I read. It seemed to come to an end when they wanted it to. Not yeah. because it got cancelled, so it was obviously judged enough of a success overall, and it's you know that pretty much takes us up to what 2018 when it finished. Mm-hmm. So that that's kind of quite recent. So what else did we have going on around the uh, same time then that you'd like to talk? What's about? happening at the time? So uh, so the strains going on, uh, American Horror Story is going on. Uh, MTV decide to get in on the act and make Scream the TV series. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, what's it called? Wes Craven was still with us then, and he did have some input on the series, though they did change the mask, which I I was bothered about at the time, but then I felt that the series was good enough that it didn't need to just reproduce the old uh, ghost face mask. 
Um, okay. Scream Queens arrived on Fox, which is again Ryan Murphy. Yes. Um, which I think is worth talking about in some detail. Yeah, well, now we get there. Again, um, I, I did watch that uh, or, yeah. or an episode of that. But sorry, were you going to go on and. Um, I'm just scrolling down my list of the many, many things that came out. I think um, it's worth probably po- having a look at this point at what was happening over at Netflix. So, Netflix, obviously movie by rental by post and then movie rental online and streaming online and then eventually started making their own tv dramas and the second drama that netflix attempted and attempted they did make it it exists uh, was hemlock grove and yeah. they made so there's the fact that their second drama was a horror um i think kind of points to how horror was the thing to be doing at the time yeah so um, hemlock it's going to be a, a safe-ish it, bet i suppose it's a, it's the werewolf series with Famke Janssen, am I right? Yeah, um, werewolves and vampires. Um, now, Netflix, their uh, CEO's Reed Hastings, so there's a very American name. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, he said uh, publicly and repeatedly when they started making their own dramas, they said, we want to out HBO HBO. So, what does that mean? Basically means they want to become HBO faster than HBO could become them. So when Netflix started making dramas to be streamed online, HBO um, released their own service called HBO Go or HBO Now or whatever where you can stream HBO stuff online. Anyway, regardless, um, Netflix makes a horror and they're following the HBO um, trend or vein, I suppose, of of horror programming. So they make Hemlock Grove, which is gothic and it's vampires. um, And it's not long since uh, True Blood had finished over on HBO. Mm. And so that's quite similar in and of itself. It's a vampire drama. There's loads of sex in it and there's loads of swearing in it. Now, one of the vampires in True Blood is played by the fabulous Alexander Skarsgård, who I am deeply, deeply (laughs) in love with. (laughs) And and then his brother plays a vampire in Hemlock Grove, Bill Skarsgård. So oh, okay. they get they get uh, one from the same family to come and play a vampire over on Hemlock Grove, right. and uh, and it it does all right in terms of their second drama attempt at a drama series. It does okay. I did study it for my PhD. I quite liked it. I mean, it's not going to blow your socks off. It's just another vampire drama, but it's it's all right. Um, <clears throat> and I think. You know, Netflix has carried on making dramas and they've done loads of stuff over the years. And I think that should bring us to Kirsty Hem- Haunting of Hill House. Yes. Or House, House on Haunted Hill. <laughs> no. <laughs> or whatever it is. Nobody yes, knows. Yes. Haunting of Hill House. Haunting of Hill House. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I don't know if you've got any kind of contextual details about this one. Um, is, uh, so it was Mike Flanagan did it, directed it, show ran it, or whatever you want to call yeah. it. He... Um, he approached Netflix with it and he approached Netflix with the idea for the episode of Two Storms because he was like, look, I can't make this on a TV channel with adverts and I want to make this bit of the story like this. So if anyone's not seen the episode of Two Storms, basically it's got really long shots, single shots in it. The longest is 17 minutes. So he wanted to make it like that. And he didn't want to take it to HBO because HBO want to own all of their own content for their own various business reasons. So he took it to Netflix and Netflix said, yeah, right, great, we'll do that. Fits all of our algorithms and, uh, you know, data collection on our subscribers. And away they went and it filled in the gap that Halloween sort of season that year of Stranger Things because Stranger Things got delayed. Um, So they flung in. Haunting of Hill House. Every time I say it, I'm scared I'm getting it wrong. Yeah. So this um, was 2018, wasn't it? And they put that in instead. It? 
and it's I I guess you're all getting the impression from this that I really really like TV horror there's not much that I go oh I don't really like that um, <laughs> I really really liked Hill House as well yeah. I just thought it was amazing it was gothic it was it was, it was really scary at times um, the casting's great the sets are absolutely beautiful Um and yeah, it's just it's great. Somebody else talk about it. Yeah, I no, I was just I was so just, excited. <laughs> it's funny actually because I've only just started recently watching um, uh, Haunting of Hill House. Um, not because I wasn't interested in in it. It was just one of those things that I thought, okay, well, I want to save that for yeah. you know, kind of autumnal, you know, winter's evening. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And, um, you know, I kind of was aware when it was, you know, first premiered about the kind of discussions around it, about it being, you know, quite a mature um, meditation Mm. on grief and loss and mental health and, you know, the kind of metaphorical um, or allegorical aspects of it. Um, And obviously the discussion around um, episodes like Two Storms from a production perspective. Um, and so it was really, you know, I had quite high expectations kind of going into it. And um, I'm so, I've, I've been so kind of enthralled by it. And then there's, I think, a thing that horror um, often does, um, but horror film often does, which is it creates that really sort of deep feeling of, oh, this is going to be terrible. The unsettling kind of, you know, building dread, which yeah. for in in cinema, you know, builds for about an hour and then the killing and the death you yeah. know, tends to start to happen <laughs> and all that kind of gets released. And what I've really enjoyed about um, Haunting of Hill House is just the way in which that television format gives you that longer time for that to build and build mm. and build and then the format of the, of the the television show in terms of the episodic structure is each you know so if those of you who've not seen it and again it's not a spoilers but we're focusing on the same group of characters but across two generations well, not two generations but two time periods yeah um 1990s and then sometime now right um yeah. so as children as adults or you know younger adults and then older adults um and so the casting's really important and that sense of understanding characters and their own, you know, emotional journey through this, you know, kind of really horrific event um, mm. is really super well done. And I think that that the time that we have to invest in those characters bec- because of a consequence of the television format and indeed yeah. the Netflix, Netflix television format, so no advert breaks and you can yeah. binge it. Um, yeah just heightens all of that sense of dread. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, the, the the episode before Two Storms, which is, what, Bent Neck Lady. The Bent Neck Lady. Yeah. Um, that, I mean, again, no spoilers, but that's just <laughs> such a tremendous payoff. Um, it really is. It really, really is. Um, and that, uh, just in terms of a kind of an emotional connection to characters and the kind of gut punch that I think you need in yeah. order to drive you through the back half of the season is just yeah. sublime, I think, I have to say. It's so good. Yeah. yeah. It definitely kept, the bent net lady definitely kept me awake a few nights and definitely <laughs> yeah. stopped me going for some middle yeah. of the night wheeze. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> but I mean, you know, with, with, like you, you've said there, the Netflix stuff, it's, it's designed to be binge watched yeah. or cluster watch, I think is a term I prefer. Yeah. Um so, you know, that that's that's written into it. Netflix and the producers and the writers of all their shows, they know that you do that and they yeah. know exactly when you pause things and they're exactly yeah. when you re watch things. It's it's all collected in their data. Um so Netflix are quite they're quite clinical in their um 
signing on and, and commissioning of shows because they just do it all off data and algorithms and stuff and they try to sort of provide something for everybody which on the one hand is great for us because it's a lot of choice but on the other hand for them it's not so great because they're spending far too yeah. much money so last week we talked about one of the issues of horror before the cycle in the 2010s of, of was one of the problems was where to put horror in the schedule with netflix they don't have that problem because they have they they're curators rather than schedulers so they build a library that you can dip in and out of and watch whatever you want whenever you want to watch it and you can see how I think Haunting of Hill House perhaps lends itself more to to an episodic nature because the the episodes are quite long as well. One of them is an hour and a half, yeah. I think. So you know maybe you do just want to watch one and go to bed at a normal time and get some proper sleep. But then there's other series, horror series that they make which are absolutely designed for you to just smash through them yeah. in a night or in two days. So do if any of you've seen Black Summer, no, can um, I? Which I, is, I sorry. sorry. I'll just say, uh, well, yes, I've seen the first episode of Black Summer, so I can't speak to that. But Kirsty, what were you going to yeah, say? Yeah, no, I was just, just, I wanted to, to, to just develop the the points that I was making about runtime. Um, mm. That you know, when you're watching network television, um, even if you're watching it on a non, you know, kind of broadcast, non, you know, traditional um, platform, that yeah. you have the um, the you know the kind of familiarity of the structure. Yeah. In terms of knowing how the episode is going to be, um, you know, uh, formatted and where it's going to go and, you know, at what point you're going to be released from that experience. But yeah. the great <laughs> thing is, you know, about about the Netflix um, model is that all that stuff is kind of thrown out the window. So you yeah. don't you can't predict the way in which the episode will be structured and at what yeah. point it will come to an end. Um, yeah. Or like you said, that gut punch. You yeah, don't yeah. know when, when yeah. you're going to get that that huge either reveal or release or whatever you know mm. it's not going to be at the end no so say so looking back to hemlock grove then for instance it's got werewolves in it usually the 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 change of the person into werewolf is usually like near the end of the film whereas in hemlock grove they show you their very very tricksy special effects werewolf transformation at the end of episode two because that's not the point of the story he knows he's a werewolf it's fine he just gets on with it it's yeah. just part of his day i think it's fine <laughs> and there's other other narrative points for the show to rotate around so it moves it changes around where you get that horror um where it's kind of the, the phrase is a bit gross but it's you know the horror money shot the big reveal it's <laughs> you can change where you put it yeah. it doesn't need to be at the end we don't need to build to like you said the big massacre at the end of a slasher movie or you know it's it can be wherever it wants to be and when it arrives like in hill house near enough just before the middle of the series and it's like oh my god it was that you know it's it's like you said it it can be hit you harder or be a bit stronger because you, you're not waiting for the climactic end it can just be wherever yeah and you know and black summer is is designed to be smashed through some of the episodes that like the the finale is just over 20 minutes long oh okay you can really you can just yeah it's really short and it's really fast and they don't come up for air at all um i loved it i've written written an article about it um, all right <laughs> um i uh, really loved the one episode that i saw of it um yes i mean essentially black summer i know that it has a narrative connection to another series called z nation, or z -Nation, z -Nation. Yeah. um but basically it's another zombie apocalypse drama and yeah. i understand that z nation which i haven't seen is more kind of comedic but yeah um, it's very tongue-in-cheek it's um 
yeah, I've, I've only seen bits of it and I didn't like it because I don't know. I just I didn't feel like they were taking the apocalypse seriously. Enough. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Quite frankly, well, the end well, of the world. Damn it. <laughs> because uh, Z Nation is kind of post-apocalypse, isn't it? The zombie yeah. apocalypse has happened, whereas Black Summer shows you how it happened to some yeah, extent. It's, so it's, it's the, more it's Walking Dead-ish. Or yeah. Fear the Walking Dead, really. Um, and as such, I, I watched the first episode and, and hoping that it would be uh, in that kind of vein. And it was, you know, the tone was quite serious and quite tense. Mm. Um, but it's notably, you know, it didn't have um, a story, a traditional kind of episodic story structure to it. The first episode essentially just introduces a few characters mm. in separate segments and you see bits of what they do, but it doesn't yeah. really build up to anything. So you, you it are does left... a good job of it weaves them all back together later on. Um, right. But it is it really is worth a look, and you can watch it if you can be bothered. You can I think that all together it can only be about three and a half hours long. Okay. So you can so you can you can let, you can sprint through it as fast as the zombies sprint through. Right. Uh, see what I did? Ah, uh, <laughs> yes, because that's the main difference, isn't it? It yeah. uses the fast-running 28 They're Days running. Later zombies rather than the slow-moving Walking Dead shamblers. ones. The yeah. shamblers. The <laughs> shambling dead. <laughs> there we go. That's, that's, that's another spin-off. Could, could uh, I possibly um, just have a couple of minutes to talk about Hannibal in this context? Not yes. just because I want to. Only because I think it's kind of interesting, <laughs> oh, obviously. Um, it's interesting to think about Hannibal from that kind of context of Netflix. So Hannibal's tw- uh, 2013, I yeah. think. Um, it starts, so... Um, and it, Hannibal um, is... Uh, Go well. Go, is commissioned by and um, broadcast on NBC, which of course is one of the big American um, commercial mainstream broadcasters. Um, and so the the very fact that NBC decided to commission something which they knew from you know from um, from the outset was going to be quite bloody and quite violent. Yeah. Um, is sort of reflects the way in which you know the kind of the mainstream guys were thinking about um how horror had you know become popular in these um uh you know on different platforms and different mm. um type of broadcasters and producers um and the the kind of appetite that they or the the free reign they gave Brian Fuller to come up with you know again very operatic and kind of baroque um horror um also kind of uh, is in well it's interesting from a perspective of uh network television in america there's mm. um i'm not sure which episode it is now but there was uh, an episode where um the in, in hannibal they have these murder tableaus so you don't see the murders being committed um but you see the you know kind of the presentation of the bodies afterwards um and there's a really delightful um uh murder tableau which involves two people who've had their backs flayed um to essentially create angel wings oh lovely oh, yes. lovely yeah, yeah. Yeah. So when that <laughs> went out, <laughs> when that went out, uh, when they were making that, um, because obviously it was uh, um, subject to the FCC kind of regulations, um, yeah. the FCC, who are the you know TV regulators in America, are were more concerned about seeing the naked behinds of these two people than they were <laughs> about the horror. So they, it? it is absolutely. So they kind of you know ended up having to put sort of more blood and to darken the shot. Um, so not to lessen the horror, but to lessen the nudity. So no bum cracks. No bum cracks. <laughs> 
Well, but the same happened fine. on The Walking yeah. Dead. So The Walking Dead's, you know, killing left, right and centre. It's all good. And at the end of season four, when they get trapped by the people at Terminus um, and it closes and they're like, right, we're going to get out of here. We're going to get out of here. And you're like, OK, OK. It was like there's two minutes of the episode left. <laughs> you know, you're not going to show it until next season. And Rick turns around and says to the camera, they're screwing with the wrong people. And I was like, and I watched it. Well, I didn't. That's what you said on the TV version. I watched it on the DVD version. And Rick turns around to the camera and says, they're effing with the wrong people. Didn't swear. Um, but nice for the one, TV well version, they reshot it so that he said, well, they're screwing with the wrong people. Right. So they could show all that blood and guts, but still can't say yeah. that word yeah. beginning with F that I shall not say. They just say as, uh, double standards going Yeah, on. Yeah, totally. Well, the, yes, there's a lot but about Americans. They couldn't show bums. <laughs> no. Not Bums. on, not on, um, yeah, broadcast <laughs> television. Um, wow. So obviously, you know, within HBO and those kind of confines of subscription, you yeah. know, that's fine. And what's interesting is that um, since Hannibal has gone on to Netflix, a lot of the fans have gone on and sort of talked about the way in which the Netflix broadcast is a lot lighter and has revealed a lot more that right. the original broadcast was made darker. That's to, interesting. Yeah. So. <laughs> mm. Well, with right. this. Talking about network TV and network doing Hannibal, I think it's then worth talking about how network TV kind of got on board with horror by doing, or I think the the Netflix Netflix oh God start again the network TV channels that when they started to do horror sort of you know post Hannibal really was the one that really kicked it off because NBC had made Dracula a version of Dracula yeah. before Hannibal and it was awful so they bin that off and they started doing Hannibal. And then you've got um, the you've got Scream Queens, which is a slasher on Fox, and you know slasher very notorious, particularly through the eighties. Bad for young children watching it, can't watch that. Yeah. And then they do The Exorcist, and we all know how notorious The Exorcist was. Yeah. And it's just for me that just shows just how far horror had gotten into television, yeah. where if a network TV channel so fully supported by advertisers that can't even show a bum, yeah, <laughs> suddenly on Fox. Now they're making the exorcist. Yeah, but it's, it's like, it's, this is the film that was banned. Yeah. It's like, what? It's just absolutely nuts. It's and interesting, it though, isn't it? the journey. Yeah, it, I mean, it's interesting as well that the network choices are the ones mm. that they're going to more, more towards the franchise. That yeah. As in, we really need to make sure that this, you know, kind of has an audience. So rather yeah. than investing in, you know, kind of original ideas, they're going after, you know, adaptations. It's, like it's and, established horror. Yeah, yeah. Mm. We know that people will watch you know, Hannibal or a version of uh, a slasher or Alexis yeah. or this. It's got, so I've got here on my list of um, shows that were on um, networks. I've got uh, the Screen Queens, but that DJ's lots of slasher um, uh, homages. There's uh, The Exorcist and then Sleepy Hollow yeah. as well. Again, yeah. so, you know, it's coming coming from films that people already know. Yeah. So, you know, they're bringing over an inbuilt audience where, when, you know, network is fighting against not only the rest of television, from America, but also the internet and, you know, people generally across the world watching TV from other countries yeah. as well as their own. Yeah. So, you know, net networks are fighting harder than they've ever had to do. Oh, Teen Wolf as well, that was another one. Yeah, and Bates um, Motel oh, as well. Was that network? Yeah, Bates, Mot Bates Motel was on A&E, which is, I think it's a cable okay. channel, I think. Yeah. don't know. I've not watched yeah. Bates Motel, yeah. I must be TLDR, there was a lot. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think the, the fact that I said as Hannibal was so I mean each 
each each murder scene, each scene really is absolutely beautifully shot mm. and it's it's really really stunning to look at. But you know, Silence of the Lambs, violent film, Exorcist, violent mm. slasher, yeah. very very violent. That that has made its way onto network. I think when when you read my book, basically those shows prove my point. Say, look, horror got everywhere. Yeah. Look, look. <laughs> it was all started off in The Walking Dead, and by the end of the decade, you've got um, uh, we've got horror's got its own subscription channel in Shudder. Yep. You've got um shows like uh, Channel Zero, which is taking horror from the creepy pastors online and turning that into a TV drama. Creep shows back. Um, oh, yeah. Castle Rock is around on yeah. sci-fi, which is amalgamation of loads of Stephen King novels all yeah. together in one place. There's Lovecraft so, you know, Counties coming as well, is that? Yeah, there's yeah. that as well. Yeah. So, you know, there's just, just so much has happened and it's become a, an absolute cornerstone of television that nobody 15, you know, 20 years ago would have thought that horror would be this ingrained into tv now it's just a part of the the landscape and fabric of of tv drama rather than just a one-off here and there it's it's in there and there's it's slowed down you know past uh, john langraff's peak tv in 2015 when there was 25 horrors on tv now there's maybe one or two being launched every year so it has slowed down so you could say the cycle has kind of come to an end but it's still there um but you know it's it's in and tv just does it now and it's part of part of the fabric of television which i think is a wonderful thing because yeah. i'm basing my career on it yeah. <laughs> fair enough i think it's a wonderful thing too because because uh, i i'm a fan and i love it i think uh, this is based on instincts r- rather than research but i feel like there's probably more than one or two each year it seems like something probably. new Maybe. drops onto netflix quite regularly at least mm. so well, I'm still struggling to keep up with everything to watch. You know, people still say to me, oh, you must you must have seen such and such. And I'm like, well, no, I have to go to sleep at some time. <laughs> <laughs> Can't watch everything. And, you know, I, I try my best. But, yeah, I mean, like, you know, Netflix, like you said, Netflix is a bugger for it because there always is a new season of something every week. Yeah, and often there's just, just no time. There's just no warning. You just switch it on one morning yeah. and there's like a whole new series just appeared there. Um, Haunted is quite good on Netflix actually I've only seen two of them so that's like it's like a true crime you know the way um, like true crime reconstruction type stuff yeah. where you'll get the, where the victims of a crime will sit and tell their story and then it'll keep going off to reconstruction and it says reconstruction at the bottom of the screen yes it's like that Roanoke. but it's people telling their ghost stories right okay so it's okay. obvious people sat in a room like they're in a therapy session and one of them will start crying at some point and they're telling their ghost story from I don't know the ghost it was in their wardrobe or something so, so do it's, you mean it's a different story every week it's the, called the haunted bits, the bits of people telling so are the people in haunted who are telling the stories are they real people well it says or, that they are and then you get reconstructions with reconstructions actors. yeah with actors okay. of, of whatever haunted thing happened to them so it's like it's like a crime reenactment right series so it takes all the format of you know somebody who was robbed and they're you know telling their story a bit crime watchy yeah but it's all it's like it's hauntings and, and paranormal stuff it's it's meant to be super serious but i can't help but laugh at it okay well <laughs> i mean i think that there is uh, a tendency in kind of american tabloid style tabloid style mm. what does that even mean but but, you know, that kind of mainstream, those kind of primetime American docudramas that often look a bit like they're sensationalising and mm-hmm. maybe undermining what they're trying to talk about. I think that's <laughs> what 
American Horror Story Roanoke was taking the mickey out of. Mm. Um, well, it clearly was, but I just think that it it took 10 hours to do it, and I was <laughs> quite browned off quite quickly, especially because these documentaries, one of the reasons why they're so sensationalised is often because they're quite short, I think. You yeah, know, they've I think got these episodes crumb. of Haunted are short. Yeah, this like they've got half an hour to tell the whole story, and yeah. therefore it kind of all boils it down, and you get kind of extremely ridiculous reconstructions and things. And sometimes it's like, so funny though, because right. it's people sat in a room, and basically they, they, what it does, it goes around the room, and each person gets their turn to tell their story as the as the series goes on. So there'll be there'll be a guy sat there telling his story, and he'll you know he'll get a bit emotional at one point, and the person next to him will like hold his hand for him and ask him if he's if he's all right to go on. <laughs> so funny right okay <laughs> you should really so, oh, just watch it it's really really funny or maybe i'm just a horrible person and i'm laughing at people pretending to be traumatized i don't so know what, i don't know why did, you tell you, me. why did you say that was available stella netflix that's on netflix okay yeah. so that's easy to get hold of all yeah. right so i'm aware that we're kind of yeah we're running out of time sorry i'm aware that we're running out of time so i i kind of want to wrap it up slightly i'll just very quickly say i did see one episode of scream queens and one episode of Mm -hmm. haunting of hill house and they're both great um scream queens made me forgive ryan murphy although i would say that (laughs) although it's um uh it's very very violent and things it's it's mostly a comedy it's it's howlingly funny yes it's like heather's the series that was the main thing which I, i kind of thought of when watching it um, and yeah, The Haunting of Hill House. Um, I only saw the first episode. It's terrifying. Um, <laughs> I haven't read the book it's based on. I've seen the 1963 movie, The Haunting. I haven't seen the remake, which is meant to be awful. But um, <laughs> I really appreciate the way that, uh, you know, I know enough about the story to see that the writer, Mike Flanagan, whose work mm-hmm. I haven't seen before, has, has really taken a different approach to a- adapting the book. Um, and and it, and it's an approach that seems to make complete sense so far. I'm definitely yeah. going to watch the rest of the series, um, and I'm already frightened of meeting the bent neck lady. She's <laughs> so just you should be <laughs> foreshadowed in that first episode so strongly. Yeah. So yeah. So we've only got a few minutes left. Is there anything else you'd like to say to wrap up, Stella? On that topic? Um, just one last point in terms of horror making its way over to television and becoming so entrenched in television and I think like you've just said touching on with Mike Flanagan coming over to Netflix to do it there's been a lot of other horror film creatives coming over to TV to make horror um um, you know Kirsty mentioned it before in the narrative space that you've got on Netflix in particular and I think it's sort of changing the the hierarchy of TV and horror you know film isn't tv and horror film and horror film and tv oh my god changing the hierarchy of film and television in terms of horror you know all horror good horror is not just found on film there's Mm. a lot of good horror on tv now as well and film horror creatives are seeing that and moving over to tv and having a go at the more long form um format of making and telling horror stories and i think that's worth noting because that's been a product of the last 10 years of this horror boom on television I think that's right, and I think that it shows that Ooh. there has been a cultural yeah. shift um, in yeah. terms of the way that people view film and TV as one mm-hmm. is superior to the other. I think they're they're more in combat now than they ever were before. Sure. People, 
I mean, my position on it has always been that I'll take the opposite point. If somebody clearly thinks that film is better than TV, I'll defend TV. If they think TV <laughs> is better, I'll defend film. <laughs> I love them both. Um, yeah. But I think now it used to be the case that an easy argument was, was, oh, film has much more freedom to tell stories mm-hmm. and to and to depict certain kinds of things than TV, which is so restricted. But that's obviously not the case now, and, and actually more often film is criticised because of the generally the shorter form nature of film means that they can't tell the stories as fully as the TV shows do. Yeah. Um, all right, so is that us wraps up on TV? It's, it feels like yeah. we've just skimmed over a, a, a really um, interesting huge area. But I think there's a lot of TV shows there which we can come yeah. back to yeah. at length individually. Yeah. Um, in later episodes, we keep promising a Hannibal episode, and it will happen. Um, I promise, Kirsty. Promises, promises. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, that, that's it for now. All right, so uh, we'll very quickly do our recommendations. I don't have one, mainly because the recommendation I made last week of 1984 on Amazon Prime immediately went off Amazon Prime as soon as I said it. So I'm not saying anything this week, because what's the point? (laughs) Have either of you got any recommendations? I've got a very super quick one, um, and it's not really that interesting, but it might be worth it if you've not got around to seeing it. Hereditary is now on Netflix, so if you didn't see it in the cinema, have a look at it on Netflix if you've got Netflix, and see what all the fuss was about. (laughs) Very interesting film, Mm. terrifying in places. Yeah. Yeah, and also... Yeah, just if you've not seen it, go and see what all the fuss was about. Yeah, I think it's... You can't join in conversations if you haven't seen it. So that's exactly. the thing, isn't it? Um, anything from you, Kirsty? Yeah, I'm um, just thinking about the um, focus of this episode and last episode um, and obviously our discussion of um, a, a House on Haunted Hill. No, Haunting <laughs> 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 of Hill House. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, my recommendation is Lock and Key, which is, um, I think, a nice companion piece, actually, to um, the aforementioned television show um, <laughs> because um, it is, uh, it's much more kind of family-friendly horror, which I suppose shows yeah. that you can do horror for different audiences. Um, it is a, yeah, super uh, natural um, horror show again focused on a particular house um, that has some supernatural uh, qualities um, the uh, show is actually based on graphic novels written by Joe Hill who you might or may might not be aware of, is actually um Stephen King. Yeah, he's the son of Stephen yeah. King. So he has, really? he has, you know, um, yeah, he has kind of lineage. Um, so yeah, and it's it's a really you know sweet, uh, interesting, and occasionally unexpectedly dark um, kind of ha- yeah haunted house type yarn. So that's on Netflix. Cool. Okay, wonderful. All right, nice one. Well, folks, it's the end of our episode now, so we'll we'll part our ways for this week. Next week we're coming back together to record another missed classics episode we're going to be watching a film that none of us have seen before lucio fulci's the black cats from 1981 and we're going to have a special guest on the podcast to talk about it uh our friend who's previously appeared on our halloween uh, review episodes spider dan spider dan um, he's going to be joining <laughs> us for that interesting chat and as i say none of us have seen the film so we don't really no. know what we're in for no so that's going to be great <laughs> and we we also have no idea what the weather will be like next week <laughs> but we promise we'll update the listener yes. at the start of the episode <laughs> 
All right. So, Kirsty, Stella, thank you so much. No, thank you. Thank you, Dan. Fascinating chat. And uh, you're very welcome. And, um, well, we'll all see each other again or hear each other again right here next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. You have been listening to And Now the Podcast Starts. Produced and released by Ambidextrous Solutions Limited. Presented by Kirsty Warrow, T.D. Velasquez, and Stella Gaynor. Special thanks to Greg Hume for our original theme music and to Brian Gorman for our original artwork. All dialogue and music clips from films, TV shows, and trailers are used for the purposes of criticism in the spirit of fair dealing as defined in UK law and fair use as defined in US law. No copyright infringement is intended. Please visit our home on the web, www.andnowpodcast.com for more content and contact details. Or visit our Facebook pages at andnowpod or at leecushingpod. Follow us on Twitter at andnowpodcast or at leecushingpodcast. If you'd like to donate to us, please visit patreon.com forward slash and now podcast and now the podcast stops